With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Chelsea. It's me, Andy Saunders. I'm in charge tonight. We wanted to get Kerry on, but he refused to come on. We, we were shouting at him from the sidelines to, uh, to get on the podcast, but he refused. So uh, he's still up in his country manner. He's too much of a plastic to come down twice in a week. Uh, it's very disrespectful. It's very disrespectful. I think I might find him a week's wages and make him put out a public apology. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think, Gary Hayes? Yes, you should. He deserves it. Gary Hayes here from The Athletic. That's well. your plug. Is it? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Is Subscribe, that, is that, 40% off at the Is moment. that your only uh, media um, writing work these days? Yes, because I'm distancing myself for it, uh, from it gradually. But I do CNN still. Okay. I was doing it over the weekend and last night and tomorrow. When you say you do CNN, what do you do for CNN? I go on and Wars, talk, about, war zones? talk about Chelsea. Oh, right, okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, there, I'm their war reporter at Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> chuckling, chuckling with us is... Uh, is uh, uh, Naz Kinsella, how are you, Naz? Yeah. From Goal.com. Yeah. Haven't had you on for a while. All right, well, not with me anyway. You've been on, I think, haven't you? But, yeah. but not with me. I was waiting for a cup final to, you know, rekindle the connection. <laughs> how are you, all right? <laughs> yeah, good, yeah. just It's just madness at the moment, isn't it? It's it's, so it's, well, it is. And we've got three games to discuss. Um, I think all shades of the football rainbow uh, to talk about. So let's crack on straight away and talk about last Monday night. And the FA Cup game with Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. And uh, not a lot of fun. No. Um, it just sums up the season, doesn't it, really? Just really deflated. And whenever they play against a team, well, at that point, a team that is, can suss them out, you know, he, the manager gets found out fairly easy. And I think that it's damning when an opposition coach will come out after and openly talk about his tactics. Because it's almost like it's that simple what they're doing that there's nothing, there's no master plan to hide and Solskjaer's quote after was that um, he was really happy with the way Mata did a job on Jorginho. Yeah, I mean... And look, I just think that's the, the over-reliance on him and there's, we've, we've said it earlier on the season where um, 
teams allow Kante to have possession because, bless him, he's not as good in possession as Jorginho. But then the moment Jorginho gets the ball, they just rush him because they know that that's where Chelsea build from. And Chelsea can't do anything without Jorginho. And when he gets attacked like that, in the way that Mata sat on him, it all goes back to the Spurs game because Deli Ali did it. And then mm. everyone's like, okay, that's how we will do it. And they yeah. used the blueprint and they've moved on. And they just really struggle. And against good players, mm. obviously you're going to struggle against good teams anyway, but Chelsea don't have the answers anymore. Eight days previously, they'd lost, or we'd lost 6-0 to uh, Man City. Um, and there was only one change from that game with uh, Kovacic replacing Ross Barkley in midfield. Um, the only other notable sort of personnel story was Cesar Azpilicueta making his 300th Chelsea start. Kepa in goal, Azpi, Rudiger, Luis Alonso along the back four. Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic with uh, Iguain up front, flanked by Pedro and Azar. And as I say, not a great game, Nez. No, part of the reason they maybe uh, lost that game, or you know, they they were they were pressing really badly. They tried to play against City the way City play, which you know they obviously City and Chelsea have quite similar styles of football, and they went toe to toe. They got beat. They're a bit unlucky that Man City scored from almost every shot in that first half, three nil down mm. after thirty minutes, but. Um, Higuain uh, you know he's not the best presser he's not the most physical and then you've got Hazard who's not the most disciplined and City just seemed to worm their way out of that press that sometimes worked and then when they did get out they had enough to kill Chelsea So why didn't he change it for the United game? Well, I think I think I think that he's been trying to stick, see what Higuain can do in these big games, see what he can do, and, and he's sort of he's sort of not really it's not really worked for him because then he switched back to Hazard as a false nine for the cup final, and, it, and it's worked really well. So in these big games, I think we might see Hazard down the middle more just because of the sort of defensive influence, and then you've got Willian, who's probably more uh, disciplined on on the flank with his pressing as well. Chelsea only attempted two shots on target, both coming in the eleventh minute. I mean, it, it was a tooth display Man United with two brilliant crosses it has to be said you know which led to the goals but again overload at the back post we've seen it again you know with either Azpilicueta or Pedro being cruelly exposed um, and, and just not dealing with the ball coming in deep to the back post it's just so predictable and you look at the weaknesses in this Chelsea side and they're very clear to us and we're layman's in comparison so when you've got educated football people coming up against each other, they're going to spot it even more than us and they're working on it on training grounds and they've got, you know, um, players that are, you know, um, astute with their footballing knowledge, you know, and so they can execute it. Yeah. Hence why you're getting the better players being able to do it and maybe lesser teams don't. But to answer your question that you asked Naz about why does he do it, it's almost like you answer it with another question. It's like, because why did Wenger do it? And that's, it's this belief wholly, you know, in this stubborn belief in the system the ideology and yeah this will work and it's just like it's not going to and we'll come on to it but then it was refreshing the fact that yeah a week later he ends up changing it and then you get what feels like Chelsea again but to, to stick on the United game it's just it's just think, really disappointing because we've become a soft touch I think we, we were all incredibly frustrated I wasn't at the game actually I was on holiday so mm. I was watching it from a, from a hotel room mm. in the Caribbean but you know yeah. at one point you know, tempted to throw my laptop out the window because it was so frustrating and I, I got the sense just even watching it on the TV and from hearing from friends that were there that it was a toxic atmosphere that night it was really you know, from the fans bad. and for anyone who listened to the podcast last week we were recording it before the game and we spoke about Herrera doing a job and we predicted the score would be like 2-0 or 2-1 to United. And we predicted how the game would go. Mm. And that was two hours before the game. Yeah. And that's not because we're geniuses. It's just that it's so easy to spot and it's so predictable. And 
that's what frustrates me about this. The slightly worrying thing is that Chelsea were so predictable and Man United sort of, they, 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 they bring out this game plan that's a blueprint out of the box. You mentioned the Spurs game, which was the first team to sort of uh, man-mark Jorginho. I think teams had done it before, but they really stuck somebody properly on him. Yeah. Deli Ali, it's a midfield diamond as well. So Man United played with a midfield diamond. So did Arsenal, so did Spurs. And, it's, uh, and Herrera and Pogba were on the wide areas of that diamond. They both got goals, both headers. They were the ones running into the box from deep. And, and none of the midfielders were tracking back. But Sarri doesn't want his midfielders trapped back. He wants to press, but it was so easy for Man United to escape the press, and then and then these players end up um, end, end up in free positions in the box and winning headers, scoring goals. Um, it was just it's just a, it was just a mess, and it's interesting to see now if they go back to the Sarri way or they play what Gary sort of says in the sort of more Chelsea way, which is what the sort of Man City game was. Yeah, and I, I think as well to just to extend that point about pressing and. He's asking players like Alonso to press in areas that they're not capable of pressing or playing. So Alonso now has gone from a player who deservedly got a five-year contract extension this season to suddenly a player who's looking surplus. Mm. And that's not because he's a bad player. It's just that he's being utilised in the wrong position. And he's, he's so stubborn that he's come in and just thought, well, I need a left-back so you will play there because you're, you know, rather than looking at what he's got. And to hark back two years ago to Conte... He gave it a little bit of time where he worked out the team. We had the bad result against Liverpool. We had the horrendous result against Arsenal. Mm. And then he changed it and he got it his way. And suddenly he made Victor Moses look like a world beater and we won the league. I think that's how most managers would play it. They they sort of have a sort of feeling out period when they first come in, playing their way and then uh, they play a sort of way that they're not accustomed to and then they switch it up. Um, And I think that Sarri's just... When you think of Sarri, you almost have to change the way you think of football because we're so used to in this country having managers who adapt to adapt to their teams rather than the other way around. But now we've got a team that has to adapt to their manager. Like so, a lot of players adapting to one guy. I mean, you know, you, you look at the Sarri uh, philosophy, and he clearly comes from a from a, uh, a standpoint of football games are normally won by one goal. Two goals. One or two goals is the most obvious statistical reality of winning football games. So why concede the ball? Why go out there and put yourself at risk? Play the percentage game, build, be patient, win by one goal, win by two goals. And we're so used to you know either attacking or suffering without the ball, one of the two, that this kind of philosophy is we will just dictate possession. We had 67% possession in the Man United game, only 39% possession in the Man City game. I mean, the contrast, we'll come on and talk about the contrast between the styles of the two games it's really interesting the way that Chelsea have you know played under Mourinho played under Conte and are playing under Sarri but I go back to this idea that the the atmosphere was toxic the fans are starting to lose faith or have really lost faith I mean I've tried to be really positive about it I've tried to be the guy that says, come on, give him time. It's pointless sacking a manager six months in. Give these players time. Give Jorginho time. You know, but, you know, Jorginho getting booed when he came on was, uh, uh, when he went off, sorry, was, uh, you know, was a little bit shocking, wasn't it? When, we, when, we, when, we're, see, going, when we're going to that place. See, the thing is with, with him is that I feel for him because playing the role that he plays, you know he's good at it. And we saw it earlier on in the season that he's very capable of playing that style of football. But the problem is with him is that he is an Italian stroke Brazilian version of Fabregas in that he's got all the capabilities technically but physically he's not cut out to do the role that he needs to in England in that position and he can get away with it in Italy because when Italian teams win possession they don't turn you over real quick yeah. whereas in England against United even even this thing is even City do it Guardiola's come in 
And this, the way City play isn't the same way that Barcelona played. And the way Bayern Munich played wasn't the same way that, that Barcelona played. And now City aren't playing like Bayern. Is that mm. he tweaks it for the league and he understands the culture of where he's playing. And he understands that, look, it's all well and good I want to play this way. But I know against teams here, they're going to win the ball and they're going to go. Yeah. And that's what City do. And that, that's how City did it against Chelsea when they beat a 6-0. And then he doesn't seem to learn. And what happens is that it makes Jorginho... Jorginho gets criticised for the things that he shouldn't be criticised for. Mm. Such as the game bypassing him because the, the game gets turned and then suddenly he's running in treacle. His little legs are going and not moving quick enough. Yeah, he shouldn't be running towards his own goal. It, yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry. earlier in the season when he was trying to explain his football, which, you know, he's kind of not really doing that anymore, but he was like, I want to change the way my team defends. I want them to run towards the opposition players rather than running back towards yeah. the goal. He no longer wants people tracking back. He wants them to go impress the right man at the you, right time. You sit in the press conferences. Mm. Did you sit in the, the post-Manchester United press conference? Yeah, yeah. What was the, what was the atmosphere like? Um, I think that Sarri is as is, is stubborn about the way the fans feel as he is about uh, about his tactics. So he was kind of... Fans were very vocal, it. weren't they, with their, yeah. you know, f Serie ball. Yeah, you know. he sort of shrugged it off. He sort of shrugged it off. But it's a massive problem. I mean, this doesn't happen at Stamford Bridge. It's, no. I mean, you guys know better than me, but have you have you seen sort of somebody swear a manager like that? Well, the last time I saw that yeah. was with Benitez, and that was more because it was Benitez. And then I've seen it before then, it was Avram Grant, and he replaced Jose. But what, what I was going to say quickly on, on that United press conference was... This is the thing that really gripes about Sarri. Now, I'm in... This is where the contradiction is. I don't think Chelsea should attack him. They, they've got to persevere with him. I don't either, and by the way. Got to I, see I'll put my cards on it. So what about you, Nurse? you think they should? Um, I think that they just need to sort of believe in this sort of football and believe in a future with him. So I think there's a little bit more that needs to be done, a little bit more that needs to be seen. If they collapse against Spurs and maybe in one more game against a Premier League club, then I think that... You know, I think there's a sort of sign that the players aren't going to get it. And it's all about the players. It's the players who sack the manager. So that's right. the issue. But I would like to see him succeed. I think he's they, good. They've got to see it through to the bitter end. Yeah. That, that's what they've got to do with him. Yeah. But what I don't like about him, and one thing where he's got to change his attitude, is he says after the United game in that presser, I don't care what the fans think. And I'm just like, look, I'm not saying the fans pick the team. But you've, you're but coming the fans to... are part of the process, yeah, aren't they? The, the, the fans whether they go to games or whether they watch on an illegal stream or whether they're on Sky or whether they're in Toronto, they're the fabric of the club. Exactly. And you're there representing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is where the disconnect is with him because he comes in and this is the thing that really frustrates me about him. It's almost like saying, you know, you know what you guys did for 15 years when you've become the most successful team in English football? Yeah, you should be embarrassed by that because what we're going to do is we're going to do it my way. My way's better. But my way has never won me a trophy. It's Brian Clough at Leeds, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is, but... Yeah, yeah it's good. And I, I, just, I, just, I just think about it, I'm like, look, now, you've been appointed manager of Chelsea, f- fine, okay, and you're there to take the club into a new era and in a new direction. But in so doing, don't forget what the club has been. And when you're saying you don't care what the fans think, yeah. you're basically saying, what, what the F do they know? Okay, I'm going to play my football my way and, and they should be privileged to have me. And I don't like that arrogance where... The arrogance of... It, it's gone crazy where he's become a parody of himself now, but the arrogance of Jose when he first came in, it was what made Chelsea, Chelsea. And then... Ancelotti, when you're winning. Yeah, yeah but, but then Ancelotti has it in a different way, but still buys into that fabric of what Chelsea are. Yeah. Conte does it. And Conte had that emotional connection from the start, and I've quoted it before. Season but, one. 
Yeah, but then the thing is, is that so much went on with the board and him that it sort of got jaded and it became horrible to see. But I still believe in him. But And I still think that he believed in the club where he I, says, By the end, I didn't, you see. I, see, totally so I, I did because I, I just thought that he got so frustrated where he was meant to be supported in certain areas and he yeah. wasn't. Uh, but him leaving saying, I'll never forget well, this yeah. club, I'll never forget this colour. You don't get that from Sarri. It's almost like he's come in where he's really corporate and he's literally, I'm here, to, you're, you're here to serve me, not I'm here to serve you. So and he's not, a CEO. Yeah, and it's, just, it's almost just like, you know, he's like, what you've done before was rubbish and I'm going to change it and I'm going to make you better think, and I'm going to make people like I think like he doesn't you. respect the politics of the situation really very well. So the fans need to feel listened to. Like, yeah. even if you've got your ideas, you can manage it in a better way. And, and the fan atmosphere is really important because in the stadium against Manchester United, it, it affected the players, and it, it, they, they were they were so low, and they were so negative, and so not confident. Man United are not a special team, but they... do you think do you think the fans have some responsibility to support the team? Yeah, but I, how mean, can I you... mean, I've said it a million times, haven't I? Supported a clue yeah, in yeah. the name. We can't be one of those. We'll only sing when we're winning type clubs, can we? And we have. I mean, we'll come on and talk about how good the support was at Man City, but you know, for the Man United game, it was. I keep using the same word toxic and that doesn't help does it I'm playing devil's advocate to a degree but it doesn't help no it doesn't but at the same time again I know I'm contradicting myself but at the same time that I don't believe in fans calling for the head of managers you know even when you know things have gone wrong in the past with AVB I was frustrated that he got the sacks I was like look you're trying to do something different now just stick by the guy and try making it work and support him but when the feeling isn't reciprocated when it's a case of, it's one way, a one-way street of, I'm your manager, you should listen to me and you should give praise regardless. And in the meantime, ADP I'm going to... is a bit like that. <sighs> yeah, leaving out Lampard, Nessie Yeah, but and, the thing and, is, is they and, don't uh, fit into his policy, do you know what I mean? And, but, you know, you just see it and you just think, you know, it's almost like you're defecating on what Chelsea are and what Chelsea have been. And in so doing, you're defecating on the fans. And... To don't, me, that's not very endearing. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I don't blame the fans at all. I, I mean, I think that you know that, that toxic atmosphere was a, was a result of you know in the last ten games we've we've you know we've we've lost five of them. Yeah. You know, we've won five, lost five, as many defeats as we've suffered in our previous forty-one. But, but if you look at how the game went, it did affect the players because Chelsea yeah. were creating a lot and in the first half and in the start of the second half. But then in, at the end, there was just no fight. There was no push, yeah. and I think that that was because there was those chants. You can hear them, can't you? You can feel the atmosphere and it was it was really bad and I thought I think that Sari actually alluded to it as well it sort of sucked a bit of energy suffocated yeah just just to make one more final point on this is that I I think as well that sometimes whether it's Chelsea fans or fans of another club that they can be misunderstood because I think that if football fans see a representation of them on the pitch now I know we're it's we're in this this postmodern era of football now and it's not what it used to be that's fine but Fans still want to see a representation of them on the pitch. Now, Dennis Wise played in a team that in the early 90s was flirting with relegation and etc. But he was good enough that he hung around that when Hoddle came in and it changed and Hullet. And he's an absolute icon at Chelsea. Not for what he won, but for the way he played. And you look at the 80s, when you look to players, you know, fans talk about John Bumstead, mm. you know, and other players that didn't win anything at Chelsea. 
you know, but they're, they're revered. Why? Because of the way they played and they gave it something and they were there representing the shirt and representing the fans. Do you fans. think the modern player gives a toss about the shirt? But it, well, it's not even about the players. I'm just thinking about the manager and that, you know, you, you look at some no, of the managers... No, but I think you mentioned post-modern football. I mean, this concept of playing Oh, for no, the of course shirt, they don't. They don't care anymore, they do they? That, I mean, that, we, that's, that's rose-coloured spectacles. No. That's in the yeah, past. Yeah, Hazard is flirting with Real Madrid still and oh, I've made up my mind. Yeah, just, look, just go, mate. Okay, but... <laughs> Naz and I have worked in it long enough that we see it and we understand the way it works. And I've worked at the training ground with these guys and you sort of get an understanding of like, look, you've got to pay your gas bill just like I have. Yeah. Okay. And, and I'm, Naz isn't going to say to goal, hmm, I'm not going to go to ESPN because they're offering me more money. No, I'm going to go ESPN because they're offering me more money. You know? And I can understand Are they offering that. you more money? Is that, is that what's <laughs> Don't going tell on? Liam. Don't tell Liam. <laughs> Sorry, Liam. But, <laughs> do, you, do you understand? It, it is a job to them. And yeah. because football's become so cosmopolitan now, that you've got players that come in from, you know, France or yeah. Brazil, and they don't understand the culture of the club, which is fine. So they're sort, they're not mercenaries as such, but they're career people. Do you, do you think that's why the fans put so much emphasis on Callum Hudson-Odoi and Ruben Loftus-Cheek? And yeah. do you think that's why they, because they see them as as a yeah. kind of unbroken thread in the club that they can relate to? Yeah, and I think that with the club sort of sliding into sort of a bit of a negative period, it's quite an easy way to get a little lift from the crowd. And I think that they feel like the players on the pitch are not so good that they should be blocking the academy anymore. I mean, right. the players who've gone by, like, you know, like Balak, like Drogba, maybe they blocked the pathway of a few academy players. Um, but now Chelsea has the best academy in England and also are in, a, in decline, let's be honest. They're yeah. in decline in, in many ways. And, and sort of seeing academy players and young players, young players bring hope and academy players bring identity. Might be a good idea to talk about this uh, forthcoming transfer ban. Yeah, right, see, this was about to say, and I think that with that transfer ban is that it works well in two ways in that, uh, sorry, it works well in one way, but negative in another. But you, you think about now the jury's out on Tammy Abraham. You know, he had a poor season at Swansea last year. Was that down to him or was it down to the team he was in? But he's doing great at, Aston Villa now, you know, he's the leading goal scorer in a championship. You know, I know you're, you don't really rate him, but my, my issue with Abraham is that where this transfer ban could be a positive thing is that he had that amazing season at Bristol City. He comes back to Chelsea for the summer and what happens? He has his pathway blocked by Batshuayi, £32 million signing, yeah. who can't get in the Belgium team, right? Yeah. Um, and they sign him and then Batshuayi goes on to play the amount of minutes and score the amount of goals that you would expect Abraham to play and score being this young up-and-coming player, right? And you just think that now without, if this transfer, well, if and when this transfer ban comes in, that suddenly Chelsea can't block that pathway, which I think is a positive thing. Okay. Because then I'm, I'm not there saying, yeah, just flood them, do Eddie McCready, 70s, just put all these young players in. What I'm saying is that squads should be built with youth team players in mind where there's positions in the squad. No, it's your views on the transfer yeah. ban? Yeah, it, it's true. That would be a massive effect and it would fix a lot of problems at Chelsea. But they need they need a manager who buys into all that as well and who's got a long-term remit, which has not really happened for a long time, obviously. Uh, under Abramovich, no manager's lasted like the full three years. So you need you need somebody who's going to see the journey from start to finish. Like, you know, you look at Trent Alexander-Arnold, Klopp will eventually reap the rewards of developing him. I mean, he struggled in certain games like last season, and now he's now he's a player who can play in the Champions League. If you if you have this dichotomy where you give a manager a target of a trophy or a Champions League place or or a title, 
and you know that that's that that will dictate whether they keep their job or not. Which manager is ever going to bring youth through? Oh, they're course. always going to go with the tried and tested, yeah. you know, the proven, the battle hardened. They're not going to risk not winning something or, or hitting their targets and losing their job, are they? But, so I think you're right. I think you've got to give a manager a lot. But the other question then is, will the fans? be patient enough yeah. to see that through because at the moment it's proving that they're not the fans aren't patient well, they want success well the transfer ban will force them to be patient for one year only yeah. so I would like to see somebody like Mason Mount I think he's excellent I think Gareth Southgate's injured. already injured but he's excellent one of the most technical midfielders in English football I think he's scores goals scores goals yeah, yeah I think could be number 8 I mean I, I, if I was Chelsea I wouldn't sign Matteo Kovacic because you've got Ross Barkley in there you've got Ruben Loftus-Cheek and then you've yeah. also got Mason Mount so that's the pathway you don't want blocked that, that's no, the totally best agree. thing I for totally this transfer that. that they won't be able to sign him if he comes in the summer because yeah. a player coming from Real Madrid on loan whew. well Kovacic I think I, li- I quite like Kovacic but he's slightly pointless in that midfield because I he, really don't like him well I, 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 can't, I, like, I like he's a technical player I think he's got energy brings energy brings tempo there's a lot to like about him from yeah. a personal point of view I just think we need goals in that midfield and, and you know if you've got Kante and Jorginho in there you need a goal scorer yeah, and I, he's not it well, what, like what do you him, think the Chelsea so put, midfield should be if well, it's a three man midfield what Jorginho, Kante Ruben Loftus-Cheek I agree so I think it should be Barkley, Kante Loftus-Cheek I don't rate Barkley, Barkley. I, I think that if Barkley because at the moment Barkley's having to defend too much he needs too many touches. Of, because he's too, of Jorginho. He, he, he needs too many touches. He can't play quick I, I, football. I, I think that he has to play on instinct and he thinks too much and he sits back too much because of Jorginho. He was terrible in the first half against Man City and decent in the second half. But, you know, I think he proved that in the, on the big occasion he just doesn't have the swagger and the arrogance to command the midfield. Which See, I think need. he's just struggling like Alonso is for not being played to his strengths. And I think that if you had Ruben and him either side of Kante, he would be able to do his business further forward I think right. he's decent I think he'll play a lot more because he's big and, and I think that if Emerson's playing then Barkley will play it's, yeah. a, throw, it's a throwback yeah. to yeah. Lamps Balak and Essien or Lamps Balak and McAlean how many goals did those three players score well enough yeah well he doesn't but I think that if he plays for you, you look at where he gets his touches. He's not getting them enough in the yeah, final he, third. Yeah, but he needs to. So how can you score too goals? Too many. Touches. How can you score goals? He had an opportunity middle? on Sunday to hit the ball first time, and he didn't. Yeah, know? but I think that comes down to confidence. Of as course, well. it does, and that's what I mean. You know, you should be having a confidence. Yeah. He's not a kid anymore. He's not seventeen anymore. Yeah, but when you're getting subbed sixty-five minutes every game, doesn't matter. You've very... got to be ready. You've got to be ready to play. You yeah, can't. It, it mess, it's, it's difficult. You, you, know, you can't get that rhythm. You, you don't feel like you're the man, and you're looking over your shoulder, thinking, "I've got." How to many do what chances do you give him? But I think what should happen. He's not really had a run of games though, because he keeps switching it exactly. around. Exactly. It's like give give him three four games. If he's rubbish still, then then just you know, go, tell him you're going to play. You're not coming off unless you're injured. Kovacic isn't here next season. We're using you to get you ready for next season. Just go out there and do what you got to do. Yeah. And then you see the difference. Chest out. You know, look how he's playing from around like October time when he scored against Burnley and he had that little run of goals. Was Southampton and the yeah. Southampton game, yeah. he, was, he was absolutely. Brilliant. Look, I, I think he's look. Don't get me wrong. I don't think he's rubbish. I think he's a really good player. I just think in our midfield, mm. Ruben Loftus Cheek is better. Uh, that that's my view. Okay, now coming on to a game where he scored and <laughs> actually scored a brilliant free kick. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Malmo uh, on Thursday. Um, look, not a huge amount to say about this. Well, I think it was a comfortable three 0 win. We ended up winning five one on aggregate. Um, hamstring injury ruled Kepper out of this game. Caballero came in, interestingly, which we'll come and talk about those two uh, a little bit later on. Uh, Andreas Christensen and Emerson came into the back four. Kovacic came in for Jorginho. 
Olivier Giroud up front, flanked by William and Hudson Odoi. You know, I mean, a perfectly serviceable Europa League yeah. team went out there. Scoreline slightly flat as Chelsea. I don't think they were yeah. that good, really. But I think Malmo tired and we just steamrolled. There was a red card as well, wasn't there? Yeah. So it was a. It was majorly down to the red card. It wasn't convincing. That was a free really. kick, wasn't it? When Actually, Bartley the first scored. the first half, Chelsea were awful. To they be were not great. They at were all. awful. Seventy two percent possession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then there was the icing on the cake of Hudson Odoi scoring a goal, which always which always lifts things. It lifts the mood at the club. There's a real like obsession around him. People really want him to make it, and uh, that was massive. Christensen had a good game, um, but I don't think there was too much to shout about there. No, Chelsea have won each of their past seven Europa League home games, scoring at least three goals in six of those matches. Doesn't seem to be a competition that we are having a problem with at the moment. I mean, that's obviously Easy. down to the opposition that we're playing. Testimonial uh, football, isn't D- it? Dinamo Kiev may, may provide a sterner draws. test. They're getting very good draws as well. So Chelsea have been like, we can complain about luck and a lot of that kind of thing, but Malmo were the smallest club in that round of the competition and yeah. Chelsea got them. Chelsea the biggest, richest team in the Europa League and they have Chelsea have a really good squad. You know, if you look at the sort of second string team, it's pretty good. There's a lot of expensive players in there. It's just the sort of top end players in the big games against teams like Man City, Man United and the top yeah. six where it's maybe reminiscent of twenty twelve thirteen when Rafa won it with us and yeah. Oh, this is, the, the hypocrite in me is that yeah we'll win it and I'll celebrate but until it gets to the final it's really will you go to Baku? no no it's lovely Baku is it? I went there for the Carabag game I'd go for a Champions League final <laughs> <laughs> did you go to Amsterdam? no why not? why would I go for a Europa League final? it's a final Gary oh, so you were going, there weren't you? so I'm going to the Zenith Data Systems no, no, Cup final against Middlesbrough no. right why would you oh, this... it's a final Gary you massive plastic it's not um, that, it's just, it's just horrible. It is that. It's totally that. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Hudson Adoy's been directly involved in six goals in his past six starts for Chelsea in all competitions. Three goals, three assists. Every time he comes on, he seems to make a difference. Yeah. You know, I mean, he surely is making a case for regular starts now, isn't he, over William or Pedro? I think he deserves it. I think he should have got Europa League games a long time ago. Like we said, these these teams are no not really any good. Like the fact Chelsea struggled was more down to symptomatic problems of confidence. Uh, Hudson Odoi doesn't like confidence, and actually, it might lift things to just have a guy who knows he has to do the job uh, and prove himself because he's got a lot to prove still but um, he should have been playing the Europa League in the group stage he should have been yeah. playing more cup games and then Sari's argument that he thinks he's as good as Pedro and William would stand up more and, and maybe they could renew his contracts but it's going to be a huge story for a long time to come that one interesting interesting stat uh, uh that I think might surprise a few people. Uh, Sarri's won 28 of his opening 43 games in charge of Chelsea in all competitions. One more than Pep Guardiola managed mm, in his this. first 43 matches with Manchester City. Well, maybe it's the Europa League effect. Maybe it is. <laughs> it is, and also Guardiola wasn't getting beaten 4-0 by Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, let's just take a, a, a quick break. We're going to go to some adverts and come back straight after this. The Chels is backed for the season by Ladbrooks. And we're back. Uh, still talking about Malmo. Um, so, essentially, pub team, steamrolled into the, uh, into the round of 16 now. So we're getting closer. And, of course, a Europa League place does mean if we do win it, we do get a Champions League place. So maybe that is the route to go through. Maybe that's where the eggs we should put in into that particular basket. That, that's fair enough. But I just love your description of every Europa League team you play this year. You're like... 
pub team. Well, they are, though, aren't they? No, really? no, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> and it's so true, which is why I don't want to sound down on it, but it's just so hard to get up for a game because you're just... No, Dinamo Kiev are a, a storied club with a yeah, legendary you're, history. you're thinking of, you know, um, Redbrov and Shevchenko, Dinamo Kiev. Now, now they're just a spent force. In, in defence of all these clubs is that this is, this is the inequality of football. The Premier League, we're, we're dining out on the top table here. Top six of the Premier League. This is the very biggest, but those kind of clubs have really damaged... These smaller clubs, there's the gap between the rich and the poor in all aspects of that is growing, and the, and yeah. the Europa League just shows that really. Um, but some of these clubs are great, great trip, Malmo, great people. I yeah. went there, lovely. Yeah, expensive. <laughs> yeah, expensive. But did you stay atmosphere. in? Did you stay in Copenhagen or did you S- stayed in Copenhagen? But yeah, yeah Ma- Malmo, great atmosphere, great fans, great yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they were. I thought their fans were astonishing, particularly at the home game. I mean, yeah. amazing. I mean, again, only watched it on TV, but yeah. you know, great. And, and at the bridge, noisy as well. They were good at the bridge. Yeah, they said they out, isn't it? It's like you'll go to watch Peterborough, and they'll be really good against Chelsea because they're well up for it. Yeah, yeah but, but they've been in a Europa, they've been in a European Cup final. Yeah, so. years ago when Roy Hodgson was manager, yeah. was he manager back then? Yeah, when they years got into ago it? before the Premier League money came in. Yeah, but you know what I mean? Though, that, so money. it's a generation of fans that are used yeah. to them being garbage. Yeah. So it's like posh. You'll go to posh, and they'll be like amazing, sell out London Road, and then Oldham will come to town. There'll be five hundred fans there. <laughs> Yeah, so um, uh, just one little start I wanted to, to... Giroud is the first player to score in five consecutive Europa League appearances for an English club. Mm. Do you know who the other player before that was? No. no. Romelu Lukaku for Everton in March 2015. Yeah. He's in so, great company. I don't think there's an awful lot more to say about Mao, is it? We, we, we're through. No. We, play, uh, we play on the 7th and the 14th of March against Dinamo Kiev. Hopefully we get through that. And then, okay. you know, we've still got to get through teams like Arsenal and, and some other decent teams that are in there. So it's not going to be a walk in the park. But if we do win it, you know, as you say, something to celebrate, trophy to celebrate. Well, the Champions League is the, the carrot, isn't it? Exactly. So let's talk about the the big game of the week. Really, we all went to we all went to the game, didn't we, on yeah. Sunday? So the big game uh, was at Wembley Stadium on Sunday. Manchester City versus Chelsea in the Carabao Cup final, uh, a game that finished nil nil. But Man City unfortunately won it four three on penalties. We'll come on and talk about those penalties in a minute. Um, and you know, a game that you know that, that I think restored quite a lot of faith. In, in the team for all of us, really. It's important for Sari because he changed his tactics for the first time this season and it worked. And also, at this point, because they weren't very good against Malmo, they weren't very good against Man United and they hadn't been very good before that, um, there was a lot of people... We, there were a lot of people losing faith. If it carried on like that, it would have been an untenable situation. But against Man City, the crowd was sort of quite quiet at first. They were waiting for the players to lift them and the players really did lift them. It was a fantastic performance for 55th minute. The 55th minute when Sergio Aguero's goal was ruled offside is when the Chelsea fans really started to sing and didn't stop from that point on until the end of the penalties. And I thought Chelsea fans were magnificent. And I think I've been really disappointed with Chelsea fans and me included. I'm part of the Chelsea fans. I can't say them. I mean us. Um, You know, we've been rubbish at home and away from home. It's been very negative and very toxic. But I think, you know, we really saw what Chelsea fans can do for the team as a en masse when we really got behind them. And, you know, I thought it was fantastic. It was a a good afternoon in that, so I went with my cousin Jamie and um, we were saying after the game that it didn't feel like we'd lost. No. It, it felt like a, a, a game where everything that happened was so Chelsea down to the, the gritty performance that they put, you know, the players dug in at times. You had the, the drama with the keeper and the manager and then sort of the way the manager conducted himself and then the fans. And it felt, it was almost like, this cathartic experience that suddenly we had Chelsea back in the way that we know it. And it felt like a turning point. Now, obviously we'll find out in the, you know, in the 
uh, close future, whether it's going to be a turning point, because obviously the Spurs game, but it just felt different. And I felt it was different with the manager, the players, the fans, everyone just seemed to come together. And it just, I don't know, it just felt right, even though they lost. I, I totally agree. Let's have a look at the team, though, um, before we talk about the game in any more detail. Uh, having missed the midweek win over Malmo due to a hamstring strain, Kepa was back in the team. Uh, Jorginho came back into the starting line ahead of Kovacic. Up front, Sarri opted for a false nine with Hazard flanked by uh, Pedro and William and Emerson also kept his place ahead of Marcus Alonso. The false nine thing I saw on the train and I just thought, I don't know about you, but I just thought, oh no, really? Really? I just wasn't. I mean, I know we'd, I know we'd beaten Man City with that before, but it just felt wrong when I was going to the game. I don't know about you. He does it because he, he, does it because he thinks it makes it the, it's the best defensive lineup actually because they defend from the front they defend in this pressing way so they, put, they like to put Hazard there in that false nine position and Hazard's probably the least of if, uh, sort of the least disciplined defensive forward in the team and uh, sort of putting him in the middle means he has less to do actually he did a really good job on Fernandinho Hazard actually had a brilliant game he had a brilliant game. game he was sensational I, I thought he was brilliant um, and I, I, he does that a lot <coughs> he did it for Belgium in the World Cup against Brazil and he did it again for Chelsea down the middle uh, with a job to do on a player, but then also counter-attacking. His dribbling was sensational. Set up the best chance of the game for N'Golo Kante, who was also probably man of the match. I thought, I thought he matches. was man of the match. See, I, thought, I thought Kante had put in a towering performance. It was a good performance for him. And just to go back to the lineup, and we, we were taught, we were trying to work out throughout the whole game where, because it was so different, and the lineup was obviously what we weren't expecting, it took until late on to say it was a good performance because we were thinking, is it? Is it good? You know, is it well done from the manager? And then obviously, come 120 minutes, you're saying it is. My one criticism of it, of him, is that he should have brought Higuain on earlier because from about 65 minutes, City were there for the taking. And I think he just was 6-0 at the back of his mind. He lacked, which is understandable as well. I'm not you know, completely going in on him, but he lacked that little bit of courage to put Higuain in because he brought Hudson-Odoi in. Yeah. And then Hudson-Odoi was getting the ball out wide and giving Zinchenko some problems. But then he was looking up and there's no one in the box. And I think if Higuain was there, you could see that when he came on an extra time, there was suddenly this, this pivot point down the middle. He and, did quite well when he came yeah, in. But Hudson-Odoi, the reason he went for Hudson-Odoi is because the game plan was working. But yeah, it was kind of throwing Higuain one was like the moment where he's like, he's sort of uh, throwing like an ace in the pack. He's like, But right, I think he could have brought him on a bit earlier because yeah. the point we were talking about... And I about think he could have brought Ruben Loftus-Cheek on 10 minutes earlier. Yeah, because Ruben yeah. was brilliant when he came on. But yeah. he did one touch that was insane and almost illegal. Yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, see, and, the, and the thing is with it is that we, we just kept saying, I was like, I was, I was trying to work out whether it was uh, Spurs um, 2017 FA Cup, uh, Cup semi-final where Hazard and Costa on the bench and we were all going, what have you done, Conte? Yeah. And then they stay in the game, bring them on, you know, 4-2, right? And he nearly did it. Sarri nearly did it. And yeah. I just thought he should have brought Higuain on in regulation time. He did go for it though. But Guardiola, just, just to mention how well Chelsea actually did play, Guardiola said they were one of the toughest opponents that he's ever faced. Obviously, Guardiola's managed great clubs and this Man City team yeah. as sensational, we have to admit, as we saw in the 6-0 yeah. defeat. So Past two occasions that City have failed to score in a match this season have both come against Chelsea. But what I liked about it as well, though, is it wasn't a performance where, you said it earlier, they suffered. They didn't really suffer in the way that... No, not Think, in a classic sense. Yeah, exactly. And and it was a it was a well 
four-hour game. It was narrow. Plan. It was it was it was narrow. It was compact. It was organised. It was thirty-nine percent possession as opposed to our usual sixty, seventy yeah. percent possession. It was about moving the ball quickly. It w- I mean, they were still buggering about with it a little bit at the back. Yeah. I don't think they're ever going to stop that. But the idea that they were getting the ball forward, they were springing the attack, they were doing exactly what we we're talking about earlier, which was getting on the front yeah. foot very forward, proper counter-attacking it's football. The most different game of the season, really tactically. It really was, and it was almost like Sarri had watched a video or something, yeah. or or even thought about it, and, as and opposed it to just confidence. applying a blanket ideology. Yeah, yeah it, it breeds confidence in that older. The fans, guy, the fans got that as well, yeah, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't maybe, just us. maybe this guy isn't yeah. as stubborn as we thought, which is what we alluded to earlier when we were talking about the the United game. But yeah, it was it was something that I came away from it, and then should we get on to the goalkeeper in the room? <laughs> well, yeah, let's 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 talk about that because um, just to set it up for anybody who's been on Mars for the last week, uh, Kepa Aretha Balaga had gone down a couple of times. Obviously, he'd come back from a little bit of an injury anyway uh, uh, to be in this game. He'd gone down a couple of times. The coaching staff had been on the pitch. And after the second time that he'd gone down, I think there was an assumption from the bench that he had cramp, and so he was going to be substituted for Willie Caballero. And then Kepa jested frantically, and to cut a long story short, refused to come off and be substituted. Yeah. So you and I have spoken about this already, haven't we, Andy? We and have at length. I've spoken about it to Naz. And I've also conducted in. a little punt on, 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 on. Can I tell you the results of my poll first? Okay. This is 808 votes on Twitter, so a pretty decent sample of Chelsea fans. Um, and the question was, Kepa, what do we think? Right? And the answers were, he was right, 4%. He was wrong, 40%. A bit of both, 39%. Meh, 17%. All right? So, I mean, a lot of people basically said that's what that 79% of people think he was either wrong or he was right but in a wrong way which is what Sari said, wasn't it? That's what he said after. Yeah. yeah. So, go on, Gary. We'll so, what, what I was going to say is, you and I have got different opinions on it see my view is and I I had to get rail replacement after the game so by the time I got off the tube and everything I just I saw the reaction to it so I did a tweet that went crazy and my view was that I didn't see a problem with it not because I agree with players revolting against managers just because it wasn't a tactical decision and he and Kepper was almost like look I'm not injured I don't need to come off I don't need to come off now I think the bigger issue here is that it shows the void in leaders on that pitch because if JT was there yeah. he would have run over to Kepper and he would have had a word with him and then he would have been with the manager and it would have been done with in 20 seconds I agree and that but was one of my but carried on points. and on and on and on but there was a standoff and as P says he, didn't, he saw it okay everyone in the stadium saw the fact he saw it and he didn't have the courage to go up and deal with it. David Luiz just went over and whispered to him, like, what the hell are you doing? But David wants to be everybody's friend, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, so, he so th- there's no leadership there. And, and where I feel for Sarri is that everything that's going on, then you get the agenda now of people like Naz saying that uh, the manager's being undermined. <laughs> yeah, well, he was. Yeah, but... no, he's not, I don't think he is. Sorry, I'm laughing because I'm just trying to wind him up. <laughs> but because I just think it's a genuine misunderstanding and I believe that before the club put yeah, the statement you believe, out. You believe that Aspilicueta should have gone over but you also believe that Kepa should have stayed on the pitch. No, uh, but what I'm saying is because Aspilicueta should have dealt with it to make sure it didn't become the fast that it was because it, it was completely embarrassing for Kepa, for the manager, for the team, for the club, for the fans. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's the key. Um... Somebody just put the red around the door. Um, so here's my view on it, right? And it's a little bit overblown and, you know, maybe a little bit hyperbolic. But, you know, but I think every football match is a battle. It's a battle. And, and you have two sets of soldiers go on the field and they conduct a battle. And battles are won and lost on discipline. And your commanding officer is your manager. And if you 
were to, in a battle, disobey your commanding officer, there would be dire consequences. Now, I think Chelsea players are soldiers. And I come from the, you know, from, from the school of thought that basically says players should do what they're told. And ultimately, Kepa should have done what he's told. And if his number went up, he should have got off the pitch. Now, he can argue about it afterwards and throw his toys out of his plan and whatever. But ultimately, his job is to leave the pitch when asked to by his commanding officer. And I think that whatever the wrongs and rights of it, and clearly there was a misunderstanding, and clearly he did, he was okay, and clearly he was able to carry on. It doesn't take away from the fact that he massively disrespected his manager, he disrespected his teammates, and he caused a lot of deflection away from what was a really, really good performance onto himself. Now, the club have dealt with it by finding him a week's wages, which they've given to the Chelsea Foundation. He's issued a, he's issued a public apology. It remains to be seen whether he's going to be fit enough to play against Spurs tomorrow. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. But ultimately, I thought it was pretty poor by Kepa. And, and, but I also think it's been pretty well dealt with. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think you don't have time to sort of work these things out. In Kepa's position, I think that there's a level of ego that he, he thought he was okay, he thought he was fit, but he didn't have time to work out why he was coming off. He should have just come off. I mean, yeah. it would have been maybe he a painful thing. knew why he was thing. coming off. Yeah, well, Asari actually alluded to the fact that uh, also Caballero knows like Man City players, so he, he might have been good in penalty shootouts. He's already good at penalty shootouts anyway, but especially against them. Um, Sarri's give a lot of mixed messages out on it, and I, I don't think he comes out of it very well either. But um, yeah, I think Kepa was rightly... I think Chelsea had dealt with it brilliantly. Chelsea's a club as an institution dealt with it brilliantly. I but think so. I think Kepa deserved to be fined. They de-escalated it. They de-escalated it very quickly. I mean, Sarri, Sarri yeah. I think, de-escalated it very yeah, quickly because yeah. he could have come out and gone, I, you know, I can't believe that a player would do this to the club. I mean, imagine if that was Mourinho. Yeah. See, imagine if it was Mourinho. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's had his say on it as well, hasn't he? But It's not what, great what, for Caballero as well, I must but say. But what, what no. I'd say is that I'm completely in the same school of thought as you in that there's, you listen, to, you, know, you respect the... But when you know the decision is being made for the wrong reason... I think you're right to just raise and say, no, 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 I'm not injured. You know, and it's sort of like probably a really bad comparison, but you're being asked to go over the top and you're going over the top because your commanding officer's telling you and you just become gun, gun fodder. But you, you still have to do it. But it's, you know it's the wrong decision. But you still have to do it. It's just, Otherwise, yeah, you get tied to a stake, blindfolded, given a last just, cigarette yeah, and shot in the head, absolutely, And I think that I believe in it to a certain degree up to the point where you know that the decision is being made for the wrong reasons. Now, if it was a tactical decision, then the manager's wrong anyway. So we just let the players do what they want? No, no, That's no, it's not, no it's not that. It's just because if it's a tactical decision where because we're going to bring Caballero on for penalties, right? Fine. If it is that, fine. So why wasn't he briefed on it before? Yeah, it's, it's like saying maybe he changed his mind during the game, Gary. Yeah, yeah, but, if, yeah, but then right he, but he needs to get the message to the player to say we're gonna if you if this game is nil nil by 120 minutes you're coming off for Caballero. I I, I you you think, need to do it. It's, it's almost like you you got a plan down to the the best managers down they plan down true. to the it's fo- poor management. The, the, it is poor management down to who's taking a corner. Nas just said it there. He's got the right to change his mind. He's got the right. To but make it wasn't. His, we, things we know it wasn't Gary, a tactical decision. But 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 you know whether it was or not, the manager has the right to make an in-game decision on the spur of the moment. And he has the right to hold his number up and the player should do what he's told. But that's, what, that's, that's the bottom line. Imagine it like this. Messi has gone down injured because he's got a bit of a kick and he's like... Mm. And then they're... Well, he did, didn't he? He refused to come off, did yeah. he, at one point? Yeah. Because the thing is, like, no, 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 I know. Because for all we know as well, Kepa could have thought... Doing, yeah, he could have been doing some game management himself. We're under the cosh a little bit because we were at the time, and City was getting some joy. I'm going to go down a little bit and slow the game down, boom, boom. and then it's almost like, whoa, 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 whoa! I'm doing a team a favour, and now you're trying to take me off. I, I'm not saying he's 100 percent right, but I, I understand it. I don't think he should be slaughtered. I no, think I don't that, think he should be slaughtered. I think that now I... he's been fined, and it looked honestly, it did look 
horrendous yeah. and it looks so bad I think it's the optics but that I was, I, I'm more concerned about it but it bad. took away it, from a really good performance it was a miscommunication it looked bad I think it could have been handled better from Kepa also from Sari. I think that Sari, you know, he shouldn't have got so apoplectic. He was, yeah, yeah. He was unbelievably. He almost, he almost went to the. It, it, it was a collective yeah, failure, though, because it's none of those failure. players helped him. None no. of those players helped no. the manager or the player. I yeah. think Dave's Dave, Dave's captaincy's got to come under some scrutiny there. I, I really do. You I wonder about right. that happening on Cahill's watch. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well done. How long did that take you? Forty-five minutes to get Cahill into the podcast. Um, just a couple of things. Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, aged eighteen years and one hundred and nine days, became Chelsea's second youngest player to appear in a League Cup final. Thought he looked the part when he came on, as did Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Who's the youngest? John Boyle in 19, say, 1965. God, it must have gone way back. Well, um, it's Leicester, wasn't it? And uh, two of the four finals involving Pep Guardiola as a manager to have gone to penalties have also been against Chelsea. Guardiola winning both. Also the 2017 Super Cup with Bayern Munich. So, you know, I mean, penalties, it's a lottery, isn't it? I think that, yeah. that, that is why you're saying, and I agree with you, that it didn't feel so much like a loss. I think over the 120 minutes, we were the better team. I think we, we, we rose to the occasion. I think we did our fans proud, or the players did the fans proud. I don't think we've got an awful lot to worry about. You know, we, we, it's the Carabao Cup. Ultimately, it's the Mickey Mouse Cup, right? Nobody cares. No, but all we can learn it. Oh, we, we don't really learn too much because Chelsea have had these sorts of performances all season where they, they, there's some one-off games where they're brilliant and they will like that again in the Carabao Cup final. But are they going to sustain it? Well, can they do it week in, week out? And that's what that's what the big issue is. Well, let's let's wrap it up then with uh, with a little look ahead. Then we've got Spurs mm. tomorrow night in the Premier League at Stamford Bridge. Prediction: Chelsea three, Spurs nil. Wow. Okay. Nice. One uh, one. You think a draw? Yeah. I'll be happy with a draw, I think, but I'm going to go for a win. I think we're going to win 2-0. I think that we're going to be buoyed by this. I think there's going to be... I think It feels it, like the tide is turning. It really does. I think, I think that's been a catalyst. That I think even the Kepa moment is going to bring people together and, and say, let's get out there and prove what we can yeah. do. And then we've got Fulham away on Sunday. I mean, they're terrible. We, if we struggle against them, there's a problem, right? <laughs> no, yeah. They're like Huddersfield, aren't they? They're yeah. almost bankers to go down. Can't defend. No. There's, there's such a bad defensive Sa- as The Sarri Ball perfect opponent, really, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Sarri Ball can come back for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think for Fulham then? Um, I go Chelsea three, yeah, nil. Fulham nil, Chelsea four. Oh, you're going to go four nil. Okay, I'm going to go three nil as well. So two of us going three nil. I think that should. If we right, don't, no, if we... you're not allowed to do that, oh. Kerry doesn't like this. <laughs> Kerry, get off the pitch. Um, good. All right. Listen, I think that was a, that was a pretty sterling effort to get through three games there uh, in 45 minutes. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks for coming, Gary Hayes. Thank you very much. Naz, thank you. Thank you. Come along soon. Uh, This is Andy Saunders. Uh, We'll be back next week with the Chelsea podcast. The Chelsea is backed for the season by Ladbrokes. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.